Hi everyone, welcome to the Yukon Internal Medicine Podcast. This is Alatur Shujin, your host and a chief medical resident at the University of Connecticut. A quick disclaimer before we start, all opinions and views expressed in our podcast are entirely the responsibility of the authors and do not represent the opinions of anyone else in the Yukon Department of Medicine. The content presented is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. With that in mind, I would like to welcome you back to our ambulatory series. And today I would like to discuss post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, its diagnostic criteria and management options. To start with, let's define PTSD. DSM-5 released in 2013 identified four symptom clusters that are required to make the diagnosis. The individuals who have either been personally exposed to or witnessed a traumatic event must meet these four diagnostic symptom clusters, so let's discuss them in further detail. The first symptom is re-experiencing the memory of the event. It could take form of flashbacks or nightmares. The second symptom is intentional avoidance of people, places, or objects associated with the events. The third symptom is cognitive dysfunction, such as amnesia, difficulty concentrating, or negative mood states such as anhedonia. Lastly, the fourth symptom is hypervigilant state that significantly interferes with life. These four symptoms must be disabling and persist for more than one month. The diagnostic criteria further elaborate that the symptoms concerning for PTSD should not be otherwise explained by a medical condition or substance use. Some of the risk factors for developing PTSD are female sex, history of mental disorders, young age when exposed to trauma, and low socioeconomic status. The prevalence of PTSD ranges from 1.3 to 12.2% in general population, but the prevalence appears to be higher in women and veterans, averaging at 20%. To confirm the diagnosis and track response to treatment, screening tools can be used. One of them is primary care PTSD screen, which is a five-item scoring system with four-plus score associated with positive likelihood ratio of 9.1 and negative likelihood ratio of 0.24. It is available on ptsd.va.gov website. Similarly, there is a 20-point checklist with a score of greater than 30 associated with a positive predictive value of 0.81 and negative predictive value of 0.78. It is also available on ptsd.va.gov website. When it comes to treatment, behavioral approaches are still the most effective in treatment of PTSD. They can be trauma-focused or non-trauma-focused. Trauma-focused behavioral therapy includes cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT, and eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Let's talk about CBT first. CBT includes exposure therapy and cognitive processing therapy. Exposure therapy can take shape of a patient narrating the traumatic events or writing it down. And cognitive processing therapy can involve patients working with their clinician to identify maladaptive thoughts and modifying them. Eye movement desensitization and reprocessing technique is the other trauma-focused modality that has shown good clinical response. Non-trauma-focused approaches include present-centered therapy, or PCT, 
which redirects focus from past trauma to current life stressors and challenges. Another non-trauma-focused approach is interpersonal psychotherapy, or IPT. It is also aimed at redirecting attention from old trauma to current life challenges. Last but not least, mindfulness-based stress reduction can also help patients focus on present rather than dwell on the past or the future. While both trauma and non-trauma-focused approaches can be used, CBT has the most evidence and is recommended as the first-line therapy by the American Psychological Association and the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. There are pharmacologic options for treatment of PTSD, but they are second-line. Both sertraline and paroxetine have been FDA-approved for this indication. Aside from these two agents, both fluoxetine and venlafaxine have also been endorsed by the VA and the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. While you may have seen prazosin, sertraline, tapiramate, olanzapine used to treat PTSD, the evidence to support their use in treatment of PTSD is low. Benzodiazepine use in PTSD may have long-term side effects and use of cannabis has insufficient evidence to support its use. Some of the more novel approaches to PTSD involve ketamine and methylene dioxymethamphetamine, MDMA or ecstasy. In a study by Fetter et al., six ketamine infusions over the course of two weeks resulted in a 30% reduction of symptoms in two-thirds of patients compared with midazolam control group, with the results lasting up to four weeks. Similarly, in a recent phase 3 trial, where participants received three doses of MDMA or placebo spaced four weeks apart while simultaneously receiving weekly trauma-based psychotherapy, 32% of MDMA group achieved remission compared with only 5% in control group. 80% of MDMA group had significant reduction in PTSD symptoms compared with 52% in the placebo group. What is important to mention is that there were no significant differences in adverse events. Patients with substance use disorder were excluded from the study, so results need to be interpreted with caution. In summary, prevalence of PTSD in general population is between 1.3 to 12.2% in a significantly higher in women and veterans at 20%. So make sure to pay close attention to populations at risk and screen appropriately. Use diagnostic scoring tools to both diagnose and monitor PTSD. While you may not be the one conducting behavioral therapy, I hope this was a good overview and an insight into different behavioral therapies available. As we learn more about new agents such as ketamine and MDMA, it will be interesting to see how these agents integrate into clinical practice. That's all we have for you this week. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you in our next episode.